is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 73, everyone, operating on April 20th, 2021. This is Drew and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Doug. We're two av geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Good day, Doug. What's up, Drew? How are you? It was great seeing you this weekend. It was awesome. You and Marissa. Yeah, it was it was so much fun. We're going to get into the details of that here in a little bit, but no, it was, it was, it was great. Doug's here for a wedding with uh, Marissa, so... I got to show him my office, got to show him the airport a little bit. And then we had dinner yesterday with uh, some of his friends. Uh, your friend Jack was saying, hey, have you thought about having uh, your podcast? No, that was not Jack. That's that's my neighbor. I was thinking it was Jack asking if we were doing it professionally with the audio. My point is we are so low budget right now that I am sitting at the coffee table in my living room with my two dogs. And where are you, Doug? I'm sitting at the Detroit Sky Club right now, drinking a, a screwdriver. I have an espresso and a glass of water next to me. <laughs> so yeah. that's that's why I'm talking kind of quietly. So the street noises and uh, Doug swirling his drink, those are not upgrades that we pay for. That is just, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> that's our low budget. It comes, it comes naturally. Well, I mean, everyone has asked for more of these like on-location type recording sessions. Yeah. So. Here, here you go. And and we apologize that we missed it yesterday. But as Drew said, I was there for the wedding. And then Drew and I went out to dinner last night with a couple of my friends. Marissa was there. Robbie was there. It was great. It, it was a beautiful night in D.C. But let's yep. go back. Let's go back to, to Dulles. That was my mm -hmm. first time there in over a decade. Yep. And we got... We got the red carpet treatment, guys. So we, Marissa and I landed. Drew was waiting at the gate, and he basically was like, "Sir, I need you to follow me." <laughs> <laughs> so, so we we went down the stairs, got out onto the the tarmac, like under all of the planes. He drove us around, showed us his work and everything. Doug I'll was a kid in a candy store. Oh my goodness! I'll <laughs> tell you, that was that was so amazing, and, and I was trying to get Marissa excited for it, and it was. I mean, it was it was. It definitely was cool for her, but for me, it was perfect. But then Drew took the really long way to get us back to security or, or back to the baggage claim. And, and he apologized to Marissa and was like, I'm really sorry. I could have taken the shortcut, but I, I, I knew Doug wouldn't want well, to. Maria, so, Marissa well, so, probably thinking, why didn't he turn here instead of going all the way down the gates? Yeah, I mean, so we went under the KLM A330. What was it? Uh, what else was there? Emirates. Oh. 777 Lufthansa. Qatar, 777 Lufthansa 330. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, I was, busy. I, I said to Drew, hey, is it okay if I take my phone out and take some pictures? He's like, uh, yeah, of course it is. So, the, <laughs> so then I'm just like snapping all these, all these pictures as yeah. we want. Well, when we were in our office, um, we had the cameras up on the tarmac and there was one view with a bunch of tails lined up mm -hmm. and you were like, Oh, I can't believe you just you get to look at this stuff every day. And well, no, I I, I, I said it. I said how do you even get work done here? Because oh, no. you you've you've just got this giant screen with all the tails and everything. Yeah, no, I mean, it is a job, so I'm not there to sit and look at airplanes, and but I take a break once in a while, like I do my FOD checks where I yeah. drive around, <laughs> yeah, what's out there. But it's hard work. So you know, you saw the office; it's it's constantly buzzing and. Mm -hmm. In the SOC, we have to be on top of everything that's going on. Um, and I don't know if I've said this on the episode, but in station operations and people that work in station operations will agree with me, including our friend's friend Francis, who works in air airport ops for the airport. Mm -hmm. We don't know a lot about anything, <laughs> but we know a little bit about everything. It's because a, a mile wide, inch deep. A mile wide, inch deep. But then... Uh, one of my coworkers, when I was given another group a tour, she actually said, no, you know, we say that, but now we actually do know a lot about everything because mm -hmm. <laughs> we've been doing it so long. And you have to. You have to. Cause, yeah. And if you don't, it, whatever you call me for in the SOC, oh, um, we can't find this dog. <laughs> we can't find this unaccompanied minor. We need a plane. Do we want a plane change for Brussels? Mm-hmm. All these questions one after yeah. the other and yeah. if we don't have the answer we know where to find it yeah well, so. Can, so i i i mean i have to compliment you it was pretty awesome so as we were driving around the the united terminal it was packed I, every gate it, was packed. it seemed like was full yeah 
so then you took us you took us to uh baggage claim we got our our bags took the uber to the hotel and we were right under the departure path right as we got to the hotel was when mm -hmm. that bank that bank was leaving yeah. and i kid you not every minute for probably a good 45 minutes it was just one departure after another everything yeah. from erj 145s all the way up to that Qatar triple seven United seven eights going to Europe. And I was just like, like you said, a kid in a candy shop, just watching on flight radar 24 and flight aware, just watching yeah, all, these, basically all, watching, all these departures. You're, you're watching my shift leave. It was you're watching. It was, you're literally, you're literally watching the work, like all the people that you saw. Yeah. You are watching their work. You're watching the result of their work when you see those planes take off. And I want people listening, you know, to understand how much work it is. We have almost 90 flights that leave between four and six. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just happen. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah. Doug was there on a day that was kind of calm, so I could actually show him around. But normally there's always something hitting the fan that we have to deal with. But yeah. that was a really good day. It was, yeah, it, no, it was, it was so cool because you've always talked about the, the, the afternoon bank and, and that time frame and yeah. to be able to see it from both the the ramp and the upside but then to be at the hotel and just see everything launching out knowing <laughs> that hey 90 minutes prior we were in the soc we we're on the ramp we saw everything that was going on we saw the cans we, we talked about the ld3s i was trying to teach marissa yeah. about that we, we saw all that going on and then it was like we saw the big launch it was just really cool to see everything come together in person for doug and me they're working in operations and as a pilot there are very few jobs where you get that instant gratification so you work hard you do all this and then you actually see it when those planes lift off the ground or when they push back from the gate on time you get that gratification all right that's that's what success looks mm -hmm. like so that's what's great about this industry especially when you work in it now i know our people in corporate they love it too, but it's a different kind of gratification because they yeah. have to wait till the numbers come in and you know the stats and the sales and everything. So ours is a little bit more immediate, which is nice. Yeah. Okay. So this is my fourth day traveling since we last recorded. I've got a couple stories that I've been saving <laughs> that that I want to talk to you about, and I said I would save it until we record. This the the first story that I have was on Wednesday last week when I was flying from Philly back to California after my work trip. Got to the gate. And all of a sudden, the fire alarm started going off in the building. And yeah. I, I'm sure you've been at the airport when the fire alarm goes off. Oh, yeah. you, you look around, you see what other people are doing. If you see smoke and fire, you go. If not, everyone just sits there, right? It's it's kind of an assumed thing. I feel like it's a, a social experiment. You, you know, they, they talk about it in sociology. If the alarm goes off, do people actually run? No, they don't. I, they I don't. mean, how, how many of you actually do that? There was, false alarm. there was one woman and and this is kind of weird too all of her stuff was sitting on her seat her passport was open and out just sitting on top of her bag and she was mm -hmm. nowhere nowhere to be seen oh, which God. first of all don't do that like, <sighs> don't leave maybe leave your bag go to the bathroom whatever but don't leave your passport sitting there that's that's yeah. a no-no she came back and she was freaking out she's like oh my goodness oh my goodness we have to get out. This is so bad. And she like grabs her stuff and scurries off. And mm -hmm. every, everyone else sitting in the gate area was like, what just happened? And I have no idea where she went. But 30 minutes later, she came back and she was like all red, all sweaty, almost like she had, had tried to egress the airport when no one else was leaving. It was the most bizarre thing in the world. Were there any announcements? No, there were no announcements, but no okay. one else, no one else was doing anything. And it was like, right. she was just <laughs> freaking out. And I had never seen that. I had never seen that before. Maybe where she works when there's a fire alarm, it's actually, real. it's actually, it's yeah. School or yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was really funny. So then on, on our flight on, uh, on Thursday to Denver, we're, we're flying in right in the middle of a really bad snowstorm. One of these like late spring snowstorms in, in the Rocky mountain area. And we actually went around. That was only that was only probably my second or third time having a missed approach, like mm -hmm. on a commercial plane, and it was pretty violent. Um, really, I wasn't sitting by the window. My daughter was, and she said to me, "Daddy, I see the ground, but we're really close." And then all of a sudden, mm. we, went, we went around, and it was it was really violent. Once we got to level off, we saw the the flaps and slats come in, and the pilot goes, "Well, folks, we just had a missed approach. We're going to come back around and do it again." The people sitting behind us, I heard them say. Wait a minute. Do we do we miss something? What what just happened? I I feel like we missed. Oh, they didn't something. even realize. No, 
could you but, be so out of it that you didn't everyone everyone else was like kind of freaking out because it, it was like okay. we were we were rocking quite a bit it was pretty loud it was violent is probably the best word i can describe it like it was <laughs> i i don't know how was you it a d- combination of turbulence and the power out no because it wasn't really that turbulent at that point it was okay. like we just powered out of there and it was it, it was violent and they were like wait a minute what did we miss do we miss something and so what is what is an almost full power on the 737 feel like um i i mean we it was a relatively short flight the airplane was relatively full but i'm guessing not a lot of cargo so we were probably super overpowered at that point and we were thrown back in our seats the wings are rocking oh man i wish i was there it was it was a seven hundred two, which you love. You call it the sports oh, car. Oh, those hot so rods. So it was oh, it was a hot rod, super overpowered oh my on God. the go around. It was pretty awesome, and my daughters yeah. loved it. Like they had no idea what was going on, but but they loved it. Have you had a go around as a civilian before? Yeah, I think that was. I was thinking back on it. That was my third one that I've had in yeah. al- probably almost a thousand flights. So it's not it's not very often. So my go-arounds were a Malaysia Airlines 747-400 landing in Narita, mm. which was awesome. I was with my friend Neil that I talked yeah. about. Yeah, We were just kids, so it was like, oh, this is great. Everyone else is like concerned. We're like high-fiving each other. <laughs> <laughs> and then my second one was, I was try- I was, must have been non-arriving. It was a Lufthansa A340 landing hmm. in SFO okay. on the 28s. Yeah, I've, I've never had one on a heavy. It's, it's always been 737s, but... Yeah, it was it was cool. I mean, I enjoyed it. All right, eventually we got to get to the to the meat of this. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Do you have any other? No. Do you have anything no, we, else? No, we we can we can move on. All right, but staying with Doug's trip, um, part of Doug's trip east was on Southwest, as we got a little hint. Uh, it was from Sacramento or Sac to Denver. We'll get to your trip in a moment. This was unusual because uh, Doug normally flies these big network carriers like Delta, United, American. He's not on the low cost, but let's is is Southwest really a low cost carrier? So Doug and I have asked ourselves this question. It's identified as a low cost. People think it's a low cost carrier, but is it really? So I took the time to take ten minutes out of my schedule to research this, <laughs> and and I um I pulled up some sample airfares, Doug, and I pulled up Denver as an example. So these are the sample airfares of all the you know a wide variety of carriers. So. Los Angeles to Denver on this Friday, the 23rd, you can buy a ticket on United for $75, American for $75, Delta for $83, Southwest $83. So they're one of the more expensive. And mm-hmm. I, I, I see this over and over again. Now, say you're going from New York City to Denver. They have different airports, so I don't know which specific airport, but Frontier is the lowest at $93, Spirit at $137, United, Delta... JetBlue at 206, uh, Southwest also 206. Mm-hmm. But from the airfares, they're not any lower than anyone else. Another thing about low-cost carriers is they have low pay rates for pilots, mm-hmm. for me, for people like me, for customer service agents. Not necessarily with Southwest. So I went on uh, Indeed.com, which is a career website. Mm-hmm. You know, and they can they tell you average salaries with their information. So the average Southwest customer service representative makes $45,000 a year. At American, they only make $32,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Flight attendant at Southwest makes $55,000 a year. American, only $42,000. I don't have the pilot salaries, but uh, I I think Southwest is going to be the same as American or maybe more for their average. Yeah, well, I can tell you from the pilot standpoint, on the narrow bodies, they're about the same. Of course, the wide bodies, American is going to make a little bit more. But we, Drew, we've talked about this a lot. There's a big difference between low fare and low cost. A low cost carrier has low overhead costs. Doesn't necessarily mean that their fares are low. Southwest is neither. And I, I think <laughs> I, I think that we are really at this this turning point where we need to redefine the categories of airlines. We, we talk about network carriers and network carriers, Delta, American, United, where they have these big hub and spokes. Southwest doesn't necessarily have hub and spokes, but they do have connecting flights. Technically, they have hubs. They have Midway. They have Oakland. They have Houston. They have all these all these connecting airports or airports with very big yeah. spoke systems. I think we need to call Southwest a network carrier, but I we can so we can delineate it and say they're not a full service carrier. 
Well, the only the only areas I was thinking about where they're lower cost, right, than the Americans and Deltas are, they operate one fleet type mm-hmm. that lowers their cost. Yep. They don't serve. They don't have different cabins. Mm-mm. They just have economy that lowers their cost. No, so no lounges. Those, lounges no are expensive. Lounges. They're expensive to operate. Right. So that's lower cost for them. But big picture wise, as far as fares and and salaries. They're about the same as the, the majors. Yeah. Would you consider Southwest a legacy carrier? Well, that I mean, that's a great question too. No, and I don't think that we should really use the term legacy carrier when we're talking about this sort of things. When, when you're talking about from like a historical standpoint, possibly, I, but legacy carrier doesn't really define what an airline does. Because Southwest has been around for fifty years, they have a pretty good legacy. So what right. what does what does legacy carrier actually mean? Nothing. Yeah. So that's why I think that we should say network carrier, and we can delineate it between full service and no frills. Mm-hmm. Because right. someone like Frontier Spirit, they definitely are a low cost and a Absolutely, low yeah. and a low and a low fare. ultra low cost carrier and a low fare. But then you get the airlines like Alaska and JetBlue who have first class and business class and they're, they're considered LCCs, low cost carriers. Their costs are lower. Yeah. Yes. Their fare is not necessarily. I, I really do think that we need to redefine kind of like hotels have full service, mm-hmm. mid range they, they they have these different delineations buckets, if you will, that they put them in. Yeah. I think we, I think we need to redefine the categories of airlines and and we can't really call it full service or network or legacy anymore. Right. Yeah. So everyone stand by, you'll have a next trip podcast classification of carriers that makes more sense than what, you know, CNBC has. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so exactly. Stand by. exactly. But I, I know I talked about the trip quite a bit. I, I just want to say this is my first time flying on Southwest in a couple of years. And I was really impressed. They actually brought the drinks to the seats on trays. They took your order. That's nice. They went back to the galley and they served them on trays. So it wasn't just the cart going through yeah, the that's aisle. That's personal. It, yeah, it was. It was very personal. Yeah. So it was. I mean, I wasn't. I was impressed by it. And what was that I, snack? Uh, it was like a Chex Mix type thing, like pretzel, okay. pretzels and and Chex and. How was the seat compared to uh, say Delta in economy? No IFE uh, on the back of the seat, but the pitch was about the same. It was comfortable, really no complaints at, at all. Did they have the free IFE streaming at least? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's good. I, I didn't, I didn't get to enjoy it because I told my wife, "Hey, you, you sit over." I'm looking, looking over at her right now. Give me a look. <laughs> I said, "You sit by yourself. You enjoy the time by yourself because you've watched the kids for weeks while I've been on the road. I'll yeah. watch, I'll watch the kids." So I. Made sure my two-year-old kept her mask on the whole flight, and I looked over. And my, my wife. Yeah, you don't watched, want to be in the news. She she watched a movie streaming the entire time, and it was it worked really well. It seemed wow. like. Yeah. So okay, so you had a good experience. Was the plane clean and all that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was clean. It was on time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, no complaints. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's what I hear. They're consistent. Mm-hmm. Anything else about? No, no, that's that. That's it. Uh, well, I, I did fly Delta into your hub, so I apologize. Oh yeah, did, did you want to talk about that real quick? <laughs> just yeah, just just real quick. So I, I used we had a uh, buy one get one free that that was about to expire. So Marissa and I flew in first out to out to Dulles, and my, my dad texted me and asked how her first class experience was, and I have a picture of her sleeping basically oh, in, the entire flight. That says <laughs> it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> say no more yeah. no but but actually we so we we've, we've talked about this the increased service right mm-hmm. so we, we've talked for for weeks and months about how airlines are starting to increase the service again delta now is these pre-mixed beverages so i got a, a margarita in a can which was actually mm-hmm. really really good mm-hmm. and what's our what's our drink of choice old-fashioned old-fashioned it was excellent it was really good yeah. as well you know, we talk about airlines adding little things, so we're going to continue to see that. And I'm, I have a rumor that another ma- major carrier following Delta's lead is going to put seat back screens back in the narrow bodies. So oh, wow. we won't talk about okay. it. I mean, I don't think anything's been announced, but yeah, it, it's good. It's a good sign that even as we dig out of a pandemic, 
these carriers are looking to offer an improved quality. They're not trying mm -hmm. to take stuff away. All right, well, let's ease into our news briefs today, starting with our lie flat comfort zone, domestic wide bodies. <laughs> so I, I, like, we, we apologize to the, to the listeners. It seems like we talked about this a lot, but it's been in the news a lot. So why well, why yeah, is so why is that why why is that well why is that because these uh, domestic these wide bodies that aren't you know doing these long hauls overseas airlines are like what do we do with this domestic travel is increasing and we have you know these these huge planes that are really you know actually serving um, the airlines really well right now on these routes to these popular leisure destinations so when I saw this news story I'm like oh my god this is I told Doug, it's like, we don't even need to read this. <laughs> I didn't. Because we know. <laughs> I, did, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the article, and, you know, CNBC is going to get credit, but, you know, I think we have probably more information than them. But all right. So CNBC, the name of the article is airlines beef up domestic summer schedules with big jets as international trips remain uncertain. And so it basically talks about what we know. American and Delta, they're scheduling more of their larger planes to fly domestically. Uh, just as an example, a 787-9 can fly for 15 hours, but American is flying this 285-seat plane from Chicago to Orlando, mm -hmm. right? Leisure, leisure flight, short flight. American is also using 787s Chicago-Miami, Philadelphia-Vegas, Philadelphia-Orlando. They'll also be using 777s Miami to Los Angeles, which we flew, mm -hmm. right? So there's going to be even more of those. Um, Miami to uh, actually Miami to JFK is what we flew. So more triple mm -hmm. sevens on that. Delta is using 767s from Atlanta to all kinds of places where you see a Delta 767 and you wonder if it's a sports charter, right? Yeah. Well, in including <laughs> Anchorage, right? Because you you, Anchorage, you found a flight from Anchorage to Atlanta on a 76. Oh my God. Yeah, I can't believe I'm going to be able to fly a 76, and the prices are so low, mm -hmm. and it's like it's too good to be true. Right? Yeah. Uh, we'll circle back to um, why this <laughs> like really circle back, really circle back. All right. So Delta is using 67s from uh, Atlanta to Vegas, Denver, Phoenix, Minneapolis, a three thirties from Minneapolis to Phoenix. And your dad has flown seven sixty sevens on two domestic flights connecting. Yeah. He, he went from Denver to Atlanta to Orlando and back, and he was on a 767-400, all four flights. All four flights. Now, I know Doug's dad a little bit, and Doug, he told everyone that that was just a coincidence. Dale, I know it's not a coincidence. I know that you look for that because <laughs> you don't just find four 767. Okay, this is a tangent. <laughs> Boeing only made 36 767-400. So even in the Delta fleet, you only have about 16. <laughs> and to find eight of those? <laughs> yeah. Hey, all right, we'll, we'll come back. All right, so <laughs> when you flew an A330 someplace recently, right? A Delta yeah. A330. Yeah, Mini to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Minneapolis to Atlanta. And then our buddy John, who was on the show, ranted and raved about a Delta A330 from Minneapolis to Phoenix or Phoenix mm -hmm. to Minneapolis. All right, back to American. American will have 3,104 domestic wide-body flights in July compared to only 563 in 2020 during the, you know, during the height of the pandemic. They actually only had 2,846 domestic wide-bodies in 2019, so mm -hmm. more domestic wide-bodies. Uh, but, you know, when you look at it big picture-wise, it's still not that much. So when you look at all the carriers... 70% of the domestic flights for um, American, United, and Delta are on narrow bodies. So it's still unique to find a domestic wide body, but it's becoming more easy to find. Now, United normally flies more domestic wide bodies than any other carrier, but due to about 20 of the airplanes being out of service right now with that Pratt & Whitney 4000 engine issue mm -hmm. uh, after that uh, engine failure out of Denver yeah. in February, all these planes aren't flying, so that's a huge, a lot of capacity taken out of the system. The Wall Street Journal reported that Delta has now taken the lead over United as the largest operator of domestic wide bodies. So good for them. Your thoughts, Doug? Yeah, it's it's crazy that I when when I saw them in the Wall Street Journal because everyone always thinks of United as flying these triple sevens from hub to hub. I've I've done that several times before you and I started traveling together, and and you always think of United as as doing that. So it's great to see the other airlines doing it. It's 
it's unfortunate to think what the reason is because international is shut down but yeah. they have the they, they have these airplanes and and okay i i lied i actually did read the article and and there was a great there was a there was a great quote in the article and it said something like we're basically oh. take we're taking a bigger boat and we're throwing more people on that boat it, it yeah. was some net, network planner i think from American. it was yeah it was the american network planner and he had another funny comment he said using a 787 to miami is like buying a porsche to, <laughs> to drive, drive to church, to church on yeah. sunday <laughs> it's yeah. like total overkill <laughs> <laughs> but but no i mean it's it's great and it, it makes sense because for, well first of all they may not be able to fill them maybe they will maybe they won't but, but if they don't it's still it's it's increasing the space between passengers so that's one reason and and why not try and put 300 people on a flight to orlando because that's where people are going and so yeah, it's, people are it's buying those tickets from from an economic standpoint. We've talked about economies of scale and, and chasm and all that. If you can get more, right. more people and have to spend less money on crew and all, all of those expenses, and you can get more people on a single flight when, exactly. when the airplane, when the airplane otherwise would be sitting idle in Tulsa, which is where American parts a lot of theirs or in, in Houston where, where United parts a lot of theirs, et cetera. Why not use it? There, there's no reason not to do it at this point. So, you know, I keep harping about this flight. So we have a 757-300, which Doug and I call the pencil jet. It's so long. That goes to Orlando. And every day that is booked to capacity, which is mm -hmm. about, which is like 234. That's more than the capacity of a 767-300, I yeah. believe. Yeah. So at 234, if it's full, that means you probably could have sold more seats. So should we put a triple seven on that market? Some days maybe, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, this is great to see. All right. Well, we've talked quite a bit about US stuff. So let's move overseas. And this is from the BBC saying that Australia and New Zealand to start quarantine travel, or excuse me, quarantine free travel. Drew, we talked about this between the US and England last week. Mm -hmm. What, probably six months ago, we, we talked about how Australia and New Zealand had talked about this and never came to fruition. But again, this yep. is the this is the second time we're talking about it, and it seems a lot more likely that it's going to happen. So this will be for Australian and New Zealand residents. They'll be able to travel between the countries with no quarantine starting on the 19th, which is today when we're recording this. And both nations have since contained COVID outbreaks and kept infection rates near zero. Australia has recorded only 909 deaths since the pandemic began. New Zealand is only at 25. Australia's borders have been open to New Zealanders already for six months. But this is the difference. Passengers traveling between the two mm -hmm. will will have been or what are required to have spent 14 days before the flight only in Australia. And then airline crews who are finding these flights must only have worked low risk routes. So nothing to the US or, or parts of Europe. About mm -hmm. 1.5 million Australians used to visit New Zealand annually prior to the pandemic. About 40% of the nation's international visitors are from Australia. That's and, huge. And New Zealand's New Zealand's economy is really hurting because they are so so reliant on tourism. Tourism. So at least being able to open this up, we we talk about domestic routes. This could mm -hmm. essentially be considered almost a domestic route, right? It's only like yeah. three hours from Australia to New Zealand. Well, that's surprising. So we think of New Zealand like everyone wants to go to New Zealand, but forty percent of their visitors are from one country. Mm -hmm. So creating that bubble changes a lot, you know, that gets them along the path to opening like 40%. That's almost halfway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So hopefully this can help get more people out and about. It can help get these economies back open. It can, it can get people who have been sitting at home hoping to travel. I, I know we've got listeners from both New Zealand and, and Australia. So reach out to us. Let, let us know what you guys think about this. But I can tell you, if I live there, I would be jumping all over this. I, I would be saying, let's plan a weekend trip to to Auckland or Wellington or, yeah, or something I would. like that. Yeah, it's like a their it's like their version of uh, Cancun or you mm -hmm. know, Hawaii, where people yeah. are, go are going in droves now. Exactly, and it's it's not that far. Like it's it's relatively close. And then additionally, Australia's national carrier Qantas said it would resume 122 return flights to New Zealand per week once the bubble begins. Australia and New Zealand have also previously raised the idea of separate travel bubbles with low-risk places like Singapore, Taiwan, and several Pacific island nations. Drew, I, I think worldwide we're starting to kind of see the turn where more of these countries that have talked travel bubbles for the last six, eight, ten months are actually finally acting on it and they're starting to open up again. 
Yeah. So United um, made some announcements today. And of course, you know, the announcements, they're leisure because there's a huge demand for leisure travel as, you know, countries open up. I saw one that. The routes, Croatia, yeah, right? I was just going to mention one of the routes is to Croatia and mm -hmm. the U.S. and Croatia. The Croatia doesn't have any additional requirements for Americans. Mm -hmm. We're talking about these travel bubbles. I don't think it's going to be like that for us. I think it's going to be specific countries. We're going to have travel spokes, you mm -hmm. know, because we'll have a bunch. It won't be just one main one like Australia and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. You know, Doug, most of the stories we we talk about are COVID or business related, profit, loss. And I really like this story because, you know, the, the airlines do a lot for communities. And we don't really talk about that because it's mm -hmm. not like talking about making money or new routes or stuff. So this story is uh, American Airlines. It's from American. They sign on for a second year as the official airline of Dream Flights. Now, the, a Dream Flight, it's a nonprofit organization honoring America's veterans and seniors living in retirement and long-term long care communities. Um, they are going to have, um, this year, it's called Operation September Freedom, and it's from August 1st through September 30th, 2021. The program will locate and honor as many World War II veteran heroes as possible with Dream Flights in restored World War II-era biplanes. That's I'll awesome. That. Yeah. <laughs> So of the 16 million Americans who served in World War II, only about 100,000 remain. The youngest, 92, Doug, the youngest. The, the youngest. So basically, Operation September Freedom this year, it, it might be the last opportunity to honor these men and women who served during World War II. These pilots who do these dream flights on these biplanes, they fly for major carriers. It's not mm -hmm. just American. You know, they're volunteering their time. When I took that B-25 flight for mm -hmm. uh, wings over... Washington, you know, mm -hmm. that was a volunteer. That was a United captain who was flying that B-25. Mm -hmm. And they do this on their own time, which is so yeah. cool. They're active duty. They're also active duty military like you, right? They could be retired uh, military veterans themselves. They volunteer their time to fly World War II veterans in the country's largest fleet of restored Stearman biplanes. Uh, the thousands of dollars that are saved in travel costs for the crew members and pilots to, to the Dream Flights events using Advantage Miles will help cover the cost of Dream Flights, which are always free to the veterans. And, um, you know, thank, thank you, American, for doing this. You know, you're giving up seats and you're, uh, you're making this possible. So um, really good on American for doing this. And I can tell you, I, I'm, I, I just know this, if, if I was one of these pilots doing these Dream Flights for these veterans, as a pilot who's volunteering your time, you're probably going to get more out of it than the veterans. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, definitely. it's a, such a great thing to be able to do. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, I know American does these and I, I think Delta United probably, probably Southwest, they do what they call honor flights as well. Yes. They fly veterans to Washington DC to see the world war II mm -hmm. Memorial, to see all the, all the other memorials in, in DC people yeah. who, who fought in these battles who may have never seen the memorial mm -hmm. and, and, the the places in dc that honor them mm -hmm. when, I, when i was at oshkosh in 2018 american flew a couple of i think it was a320s or a319s mm -hmm. to to oshkosh yep. with with veterans for the day just to be able to enjoy the air show yeah and, and no it's and amazing the airlines do these things and it's it's great community outreach it's it's great to honor the people who fought years and years ago yeah. who maybe haven't traveled in in decades and, and been able to see these things so it's it's really cool to see yeah and i i have gone up when we have those honor flights just to say thank you and i remember going up to one and there were um it's they're on different flights and there were four veterans and they were of course all in wheelchairs they were with their family and i was like thank you so much for what you've done it is a real honor for us to fly you on unit on um, my airline to where we were going and i left there and it, I, I think it felt made me feel it, it makes the whole station feel really good you know, to be able to do this. Yeah. So when, when the pandemic started, this was actually one of the things that I thought about that I was, I was sad that some of these people may never have that opportunity again, depending on how long the pandemic lasts. But now that the vaccines are coming out, people are right. traveling again. It's mm -hmm. great. It's great to see that first of all, the airlines are, are restarting these, but that, that these individuals are interested and willing and traveling to yeah. do the, to, to do, do these things again. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. And like I said, we only have a couple more years to do this before it's too late. So glad that American is, is using that opportunity. And it's not just American, like you said, all the airlines do these mm -hmm. on our flights. 
All right. This is one of these topics where we may go on tangents, so we're going to have to self-police, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're going to lose 90% of our audience again. So basically, you guys, I was driving around the ramp, um, as I do, <laughs> when, there's, when there's gaps in the operation. And I was looking at these tail skids on these aircraft, and I was noticing they're all different. And some airplanes don't have a tail skid at all. So, of course, the light bulb went on, and I'm like, podcast topic. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so before we get into all the different kind of tail skids on these airplanes, uh, let's um, talk about tail strikes. What are they and how do they happen? Doug's the pilot. So can you explain for us what tail strikes are? Yeah, absolutely. A, a tail strike occurs when the tail of an airplane strikes the ground during the takeoff or landing. Tail strikes are often due to human error. They're really expensive. They cost an average of $12 million to repair every time there's, there's a tail strike. It's, yeah, it's, it's nuts. Many of the longer body Boeing airplanes use relatively higher speeds than their short bodied major models. So for instance, the 757-300 versus the 757-200, the subsequent higher V1, V-rotate and V2 speeds, which are speeds that, that they use to, to take off mm -hmm. or the approach speeds, they're designed to improve the tail clearance. Higher speeds make the tail clearance equivalent to the shorter bodied equipment of the same model. However, tail strikes happen because if you think about the the physics of it and i'm, I'm going to use a pen drew mm -hmm. drew is going to drew is going to see me do this the listeners right. want but think about like a fulcrum so you've got the gear and as mm -hmm. it pivots the longer an airplane is you talked about the pencil jet yep the the pivot point is farther away and so there's more of a chance that the tail will strike the way we avoid them is in in our mind as i rotate you count mm -hmm. you count to four it is a slow four okay. second rotation because if you rotate yeah. too too quickly you pivot too quickly and that increases right. the likelihood of a tail strike yeah and you know the average um attitude condition like the nose up condition is only eight degrees mm -hmm. you know it seems like it's more it's only eight degrees but now doug doug flies a dc-10 on that plane, your landing gear and your wing is set. It sits farther far back. back. Mm -hmm. So you don't have a lot of ext tail extended, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't even know of any DC-10 or Elton-11 tail strikes. I, I actually Googled that. Yeah. It's it's very uncommon. And in, in fact, in my entire 10 years in the, in the DC-10, I don't know of a single tail strike. It yeah. doesn't mean I mean, that it hasn't happened before. Right. You'd have to be at like a 45 degree angle. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, we, so we actually practice in the sim. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I have to test in the sim. When I test in the sim, it is so difficult. We almost stall the airplane with the wheels still on the ground before oh we get God. the, before we get the tail strike. Oh, so when, yeah. And, uh, you know, we talk about the different types of tail skids on a TriStar or a, an Elton 11 TriStar or a DC 10. Guess what? No tail skid. <laughs> no, we don't have one. Yeah, no. look, Ma, no tail skid. Yeah. <laughs> this is the part where if you have any non-AV geeks or civilians in the room, you may want to move them out of the room. You know how you <laughs> get a disclaimer from the news. If you have children in the room, yeah. this may not be a good. So tail strikes on takeoff. Let's let's talk about how they happen, right? And I may ask you some questions along the way. So a mistrimmed stabilizer. So, Doug, if the stabilizer is set up down, like for mm -hmm. a nose down, mm -hmm. you're going to have to... Um, to rotate more to get the plane off the ground. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons. It could be an early rotation before you reach the required airspeed. So now you need to angle it more, you know, to have a greater angle of attack to take off. Um, incorrect rotation speed. Or just the pilot being too aggressive on the, ro the yoke and pulling back too aggressively, you mm -hmm. could strike the tail. And the other thing is, Winds could be slowing your airspeed, so you need, you need a greater angle of attack to take off, and you could strike the tail on that, too. Now, these happen on landing also. So tail strikes on landing cause more damage uh, because the tail may strike the runway before the main gear, damaging the aft pressure bulkhead. So these, uh, these are the factors that increase the chance of a tail strike during landing. You may have an unstabilized approach, and that could mm -hmm. be winds or turbulence, right? Um, you might hold the airplane off the runway in a flare for too long where it slows down and you need more um, angle of attack for lift. That could cause a tail strike. Uh, mishandling crosswinds. And then over rotation, if you had to go around, if you were landing and you had to go around and you, um, you were too aggressive with the yoke again. Anything I'm missing? 
No, the, these are these are all really good. And like you said, on the, the DC-10, we're very unlikely to have one, but the most common point that we would is on initial takeoff if you rotate too quickly, which is why, like I mentioned, in, in our heads, we count to four seconds. It is a slow four-second rotation. Mm-hmm. Then once we have the positive rate confirmed, that's when we'll pitch up to our normal 17 degrees is our normal climb out. But the initial rotation, like you said, is about eight, six to eight, roughly. And then well, once are you pulling back the yoke at all? We are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we, okay. we do. So How it's a, it's um, about halfway. It's a it's a slow, smooth, four second rotation. Start to rotate. Okay. Once we confirm that we have the positive rate, then we'll increase to seventeen degrees nose high and, and degrees. plus or minus. So most airplanes fly out at a given airspeed which for us is v2 plus 10 so v2 is is just a, a predetermined airspeed plus 10 knots. is that the rotation is that when you lift no, off the ground no v2? so that's that's vr that's v rotate v2 is above v rotate and what we'll do is we'll initially set a pitch of 17 plus or minus whatever based on the weight and then if that's a little bit too fast so if the airspeed is still increasing then we'll we'll increase the pitch so that we get to v2 plus 10. so we always fly out at a set airspeed and the pitch that we use might might vary based on the weight or the conditions the flap settings the stabilizer settings etc okay i got it so um i actually attached some pictures for you not that you haven't seen these but Actually, you know, I've seen these, but I haven't noticed them as much until now. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of different tail skids. So the Concorde is the most pronounced. It's actually a wheel that comes off the landing gear. Yeah. (laughs) Because that plane, I mean, if you watch it, that has very steep angles of attack. So, you know, it's more of a risk. A tail skid is more of a risk. So it has basically a a landing gear that comes out from the tail with a wheel and a door. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then you have a 767-300, which has um, a little flap that comes out with a hydraulic jack. The 737 has one that's kind of more flush, but it can also come in and out based on the conditions. And um, just reading into this, they actually deploy with the landing gear. Mm-hmm. And uh, the 737-800-SFP short field performance has the tail skid. The 737-900 has the tail skid because it's so long, but not all of the 737s have them, so just those. Yeah, Drew, this is a great ops topic. So you and I were talking last week, mm-hmm. setting up for this, asking, hey, what, what should we do for the ops topic? Yeah. And and we weren't quite sure, but then when you came up with this, I went back and looked at pictures because I, I, I know I sent you a picture pulling out of Denver the other day. We were parked next to a Delta 767-400, I looked back, they've got a tail skid on the back and it's very pronounced. I, I, you can't miss it. It's it's this thing that just hangs down. Is at, it like the, the 300, which um, there's a picture of the 300? No, it, it's not, it, at least from what I saw, it looks a little bit different than the than the 300, at least from a, from a distance. But it's one of those things where like, if you hit the, t- if you hit the tail skid, yeah. I, I don't know what the procedures are, but I'm guessing they can just continue because nothing, Nothing really has been impacted or, yeah. or damaged okay, the airplane. So, so immediately, the plane that I'm thinking about, where if I was a pilot, I would be so concerned about striking the tail. What do you think it would be? 777 What airplane? Triple the 777 yeah. And there's no tail skid. And I'm like, really? That just seems so irresponsible. So check this out. So they've gone, you know, they're thinking ahead. So looking at this, the newer 777-300s, and of course, the triple seven nine X that's coming out, no tail skid because they're using technology. It doesn't allow them to rotate. It. Mm-hmm. it doesn't allow it to rotate. So I was like, how do they do that? So this t- they have a tail strike prevention um, technology, and so what it does is it's embedded in the airplane's fly-by wire computer system, right? Mm-hmm. So what happens is when um, it computes the location of the airplane's rear fuselage um, relative to the runway. And when that starts moving, it senses that it's moving. And then, um, and it also checks how fast the rotation is happening. Mm -hmm. And then what it does, it sends, um, once it senses a possible tail strike, it automatically commands, commands the aircraft's elevators to do the down movement. So it doesn't strike. Mm -hmm. How amazing is that? So 
you can't have a tail strike on a triple seven three hundred. Does the does the A three forty six hundred have one? So good question. I actually looked for it. No, Airbus it doesn't, doesn't have that. So same same thing then as Boeing using using the fly by wire system. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, so that helps it avoid a tail strike. I don't, and looking at it, I don't see, I saw one tail strike, a Singapore Airlines 777-300, but I think that was because of turbulence or crosswinds. That's the only one I could find. I think uh, that's all people need to know about tail skids. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Do you think? <laughs> no, we, we might lose <laughs> lose people if we talk more. <laughs> real, real quickly before we finish oh. up, I, I've got a shout out, something that wasn't in the rundown today. I don't know if you saw the Mars rover flew last night. Flew overnight. Really? Okay. The drone, yeah. So the the drone, NASA launched the 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 um, I can't remember the name of it, but basically they landed in February. It's it's this new mm-hmm. high resolution one oh, one of the yeah. one of the best vehicles they've ever had on Mars okay. or that they have ever had on Mars. They had a drone with it, flew overnight. That was the first time that a human built or that that a powered craft flew anywhere outside of Earth. Oh, that's pretty big. Get this. It was a. Is there any a, video from it? There is. It's just real, real quick. So the rover actually filmed the drone. It's mm-hmm. the first of five planned flights. It only got up to 10 feet and then they landed because it was mm-hmm. just a test because the atmosphere yeah. of Mars is 1% of Earth. So from a helicopter oh. standpoint, most helicopters can't fly above like 10,000 feet because of the, the air density. Mm hmm on the ground in mars it would be as if they were 22 miles above the earth's surface okay based on the air density so all the math and everything that went into that so this first flight was was 10 feet just to make sure it worked Mm -hmm. and then they're going to actually go look around mars with this drone listen to this though Mm -hmm. it was a 16 hour lag time so the chief pilot the pilot who was flying it input the commands mm-hmm. and then didn't know if it worked until 16 oh, hours God. later based on on the telemetry how do you sleep that night <laughs> so basically you're doing this flight and then you go home and go to bed and you come go you set bed. your alarm and you come back 16 <laughs> hours later and say well i hope i didn't mess up <laughs> <laughs> all right no that's pretty cool we'll have to look into that and talk more about that that's, yeah definitely that's yeah that that i mean that's like super nerdy but I, I i just wanted to to do a shout out so congrats to nasa that's awesome yeah all right, guys. So we have um, our trip to Alaska coming up, and um, you know a lot of things are up in the air, to use a pun. But um, some things we can confirm, right, Doug? Mm-hmm. Right, because um, there's some other things Doug can't talk about right now that may affect uh, the trip. But we're still going, yep. and we can confirm that uh, we will be on the Milk Run, Alaska Flight 65, from Seattle to Anchorage. It departs at 8:30 in the morning. So uh, hopefully, if you guys are on that flight, let's meet beforehand. We'll plan to be at the airport what like 7 a.m. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, maybe a little earlier. Go to the club. Yeah. Okay, so Doug is going to have me get up at four. <laughs> no, not that. Four thirty-eight no, in the morning. No, no, not that early. <laughs> um, eight thirty, uh, and then we arrive in Anchorage at four fifteen. Uh, we are staying at the Thomas Cook Hotel in downtown, mm-hmm. and our plan is to meet anyone who's there around between six thirty and seven at uh, this pub. It's called the. Moose's tooth. It's the most Alaska name of Moose's tooth. Yep. The moose's tooth. <laughs> it has moose Creek or moose, uh, moose nugget or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to meet there and you don't have to write anything, any of this down. You can just go to nexttripnetwork.com, go to the tab that says trips and I'll have what agenda that we have on there. And you'll see a section for comments. Please, if you're going, or even if you're not going, just write a comment in there so we can kind of get an idea of who's coming and uh, get to know you guys beforehand. So uh, send us a comment. And some of you already have. So I may just put your comments on there so the other people that are going can get to know you. So we have a nice little group. Um, and I think that's all we, yeah, that is all we have. Um, Doug and I looked up Alaska travel restrictions. And you guys are responsible for this. <laughs> don't put this on us, but the restrictions <laughs> are constantly. <laughs> don't say next trip says. <laughs> but um, no, look for yourself. But what we found is that Alaska is recommending a COVID test within 72 hours of arrival, but it's not required. But once again, just check the travel restriction. Doug, anything else we can? No, and, and then we'll we'll have some info about the the spotting the the next day. And as Drew said, I had some some things come up that I may end up having to return early for. 
I can't really get into the details, but I have an interview coming up for a major airline, which is huge. I, I again, I cannot, I won't get into the details. I, I will cross that bridge when we get to it, but it's really, really exciting. Disappointed with the timing of it, but I can't be. I, I mean, I can't be disappointed, right? Yeah. No, we're talking to Doug, and I told Doug, it's like, if you have to cancel, you have to cancel because the interview for for a major airline for the position that Doug's putting in for is intense. It's a month-long preparation, if not longer, right, Doug? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a full-time job. It's like a full-time job. So, um, But no, Doug is going to be there uh, with me. I'll be there definitely two days uh, a day after, so we'll have more time to spend and spot. And I'm thinking the night of the 9th through the 10th, that will be our overnight spotting. Mm -hmm. So Marky Mark, if you're listening, Tyler Crook, uh, who's also going, if you're listening, we'll have to see when uh, the, the peak times are for arrivals. But I'm planning to be there overnight on yeah. uh, the ninth. Watch. Well, and our, our resident statistician, who's probably a little bit more involved in stats than even I am, Greg. Even though he's not going, I, right. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's going to have. I don't even remember the name <laughs> the name of the Excel sheet that he does the the sortable list. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that he's going to do something like that. All right, to our listeners, this podcast is your show, so go on our website nexttripnetwork.com and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter on or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. With the website, we could have. I could put in little. You could, snippets. yeah. You could, you could grab little snippets. Yeah. We're on Twitter. Did you know that two? Pe- you don't have to be the host to record. Two people can record. She knew. She knew, of course. <laughs> Duh. I can't read your lips. Zoom basics. Okay. <laughs> we just got schooled by the PR rep. <laughs>